My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be soaking wet, but we're not talking about bad breaks this week. So now I'm bone dry. This week is the come down. <laughs> and this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Notice, about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, I forgot that I was reading this next bit of the intro. Uh, but despite that, we will be rating each episode of Burn Notice on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into those ratings, listen to our intro episode or just wait until the end where we'll explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, Mr. Burn Notice himself, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, drawings of us, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com. That's burnnoticed with a D. Or to our Twitter, burnnoticedpod. Anyway, this week, we're watching Truth or Reconciliation, which aired truth, on... Fi- truth and Reconciliation. Get it I like fucking tr- right. I like Truth or Reconciliation, but... Um, <laughs> Really quickly, can I say, you just made a joke about people sending us drawings of ourselves. Please send us drawings of ourselves. I don't care if you're an artist. I honestly prefer it if you're not. Please send us drawings of ourselves. Like, yeah, send us a drawing, like that one drawing of Fee and Michael that the child drew in that one episode. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. That kind of, have your children draw us. (laughs) We know you have them. Or just you draw us, and I will accept any and all pieces of art with my own face in it. Exactly. All right. Please continue. So this episode, Truth and Reconciliation, aired on February 19th, 2009. It was written by Alfredo Barrios Jr. and directed by Ernest Dickerson, uh, who was a cinematographer for Spike Lee and has directed a lot of, like, prestige television and, like, shows that really want to be prestige television. So, like, he directed a lot of David Simon shows, like The Wire and Treme and stuff. But he also, like, has done shows like The Walking Dead and Dexter and Weeds and Man in the High Castle. He's directed a lot of Bosch, which is a show that exists. Um, But a lot of his, the shows that he's directed are, if not highbrow, or at least have a lot more pretensions than Burn Noticed tends to have. He also, he also, and I'll say this, I, a few episodes ago, made a statement that I thought was definitive and turned out to be wrong, because he did also direct an episode of The L Word. Well, was it the same guy? No. Last time it was a woman. Oh. So we've had two L Word, we've had two L Word directors on this show now. Lesbians love Michael Weston. He was Thor before there was a Thor. He was. (laughs) And it's actually, I think, important because I think that this is an episode of television that is saved by its direction. Interesting. Uh, and we'll I'll be honest, it was hard for me to focus on this episode because I watched it just before we started recording and I watched Bad Breaks yesterday. But all I could do was think about Bad Breaks. So like that, that this this episode had a lot to compete with. And Oh, I watched them I one would... right after the other. Oh, man. And I think part of it was I was expecting them to come down because not only was it not bad breaks, but it was a, another Alfredo Barrios episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I came in prepared to not have fun. 
and had more fun than I thought I was going to have. I'll just say right now. I definitely did too. I just, I don't think I internalize a lot of what happens. So I'm going to be relying extremely heavily on the weeds that we're about to get into. That's fine, because I just did it a few hours ago. It's all pretty new to me. So uh, before we get into the weeds, though, the premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is Michael helps a Haitian man who is trying to prove that a man currently living in Miami is actually a fugitive who killed his daughter in a Haitian prison. Fun stuff. (laughs) Because, yeah, this is another Alfredo Barrios joint, and... So it is all about, like, threats to the family and revenge because, like, he killed his daughter and honor. This is an episode that is very much concerned with honor. Yeah. Yeah, that is very classic Barrios. We'll get into more detail about that once we're in the weeds. And again, this director was in the weeds because he directed (laughs) some episodes of Weeds. That was really good. It was. I thought it was. Anyway, here we are. So we start out and Michael meets a bank manager for the Cayman Islands Bank that he got information on from last episode. Um, or actually two episodes back. But he got, he found out which bank it was thanks to Jason Bly's help. Um, and so he goes to meet this bank manager whose name is Gustavo that he's these communicated with to find out who the fuck like paid for the bombing to happen at this point there's so many like threads and like steps in between the bombing that the bombing seems like so long ago yeah i actually when i was doing my recap of bad breaks i had to go back to your recap of the week before's episode because i genuinely couldn't remember what the fuck this bank account was attached to in the main plot oh yeah exactly We've, and then, we've lost the thread a little bit because it's like a, it's a good thing that I hadn't like written my new new my new <laughs> notes yet. Yeah, exactly. Oh god. What was I and gonna so, do? Rewatch the episode? Pfft. No. So Michael goes to meet this guy, um, Gustavo, who works for the bank. But it turns out that this is not Gustavo, but it is an assassin who then tries to kill Michael. And Michael gets in a As scuffle. As assassins are want to do. Yes. And then Michael gets in a scuffle with him and then accidentally pushes him off a building. <laughs> like, this dude super dies. Michael, and then Michael, as the guy is like falling over, they're in a parking garage. As he falls over the ledge, Michael's like, no, no, no. Hey, stop. Like, telling him to stop it. Like, don't die. Don't go over <laughs> that ledge. What are you doing? And then a thing happens that is kind of, that I think for me personally, recapping this episode finds incredibly infuriating. Because what has happened, right, is that Michael made contact with a man named Gustavo who worked for this bank in the Cayman Islands. Um, And then, like, this assassin kills Gustavo and pretends to be Gustavo for Michael. But then for the rest of the episode, they refer to the assassin as Gustavo. And that's very annoying. In my notes, I keep... Like, saying, is this the assassin? Is this Gustavo? It's, it doesn't matter much, but it was very mean to me, personally. <laughs> and I You know it's more that, mean? An oopsie-daisy murder. Like, the one that just happened in this episode. It does. And, like, we look down, and, like, there's the guys on the ground, and there's a lot of blood. He is... <laughs> it is not ambiguous. Yeah, I was just gonna say, he is unambiguously deceased. 
Yeah, and then, so we cut to a scene back in the apartment with Sam, where Sam confirms that, yeah, no, that guy's hella dead. And so is the actual Gustavo. Um, and he al- he also brings Michael a real big fish. <laughs> and then attempts to leave the big fish and Michael sink. And then Michael's like, hell no, you are not leaving that big stinky fish in my sink. Take it to the restaurant. Maybe they'll cook it. And also, the scene, also, this is not a huge thing, uh, but the scene starts with Michael doing some weird shit with his hands and his knife. And I don't know if he's like, because he got stabbed or, yeah, I don't know if it was because he got stabbed and it's like a muscle training thing or if he's just practicing with his knife, but it looks ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, it's not, it's not quite the power move that like him doing upside down crunches was. And... I 100% believe that that is something that Jeffrey Donovan brought to the table. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee it. I just actually, now that now that I make that joking aside, we haven't seen Michael work out in a while. I think they've kind of like moved away from him being like kind of like a sexy, mysterious spy man. And now he's just like our friend who's a curmudgeon and wears tan suits. Exactly, because he's not mysterious. <laughs> actually, well, fuck, I didn't get to talk about this last week. <laughs> <laughs> I we talked about plenty last week. Let's get into it now. Well, no, about there was a really good line in Bad Breaks that um up where Jason Bly says this would be a really good Michael Weston story if people were allowed to tell Michael Weston stories. And <laughs> it really hints at another version of this show where Michael Weston is mysterious, but that is not what this show is. No. And, like, so they've given up on the idea of Michael Weston as, like, a super spy, mysterious guy. Yeah, he's just, like, a curmudgeon. He's sort of difficult. But I think that's actually a good mode for this kind of character. You know what Michael Weston is? Michael Weston is Angel. (laughs) Um, Because, yeah, when Angel was on Buffy, they introduced Angel as being incredibly mysterious. But then, like, by the time Angel is on Angel, they retool him to basically being a huge dork. And that's what they've (laughs) done with Michael Weston. And I think that was the right choice. I agree. And that's a great parallel. Anyway. Very astute. I'm proud of you, bud. (laughs) So, uh, Michael and Sam start leaving the apartment to go meet Fee, because I guess Fee has information about, like... The bomber or the the meta plot. It doesn't matter. Um, because they will never meet me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, as on their way out the door, a man runs up to them, a man named Claude. And he says that he's heard about Michael and that he needs help. Uh, because an official in Haiti named Jean-Pierre Dumont murdered his daughter uh in a prison for speaking out against him. And now Jean-Pierre is living in America under a new name. And Claude wants to get him extradited back to Haiti, where he'll stand trial. And Sam and Michael tell him that Claude does not have enough to really get him extradited. Like, he has a paper. It's sort of vague what the paper says, but they're like, "This your paper is nothing. America does not care. Uh, and that they basically tell him, I'm sorry, you got nothing. Go home. And he gets very upset and questions Michael's honor. (laughs) 
And, and Sam is- gets like so like he, he he is so affronted by this assumption that Michael Weston might not be honorable. How dare he tell his best friend who is that he's not honorable? Exactly. And it sticks with Michael because like or it sticks with Sam because in the next scene when they're at the bar waiting for Fee, like Michael Sam, for some reason, my brain wants to switch Michael and Sam. I don't know why <laughs> as na- like as names. But when I when I was writing this episode. Like, when I was writing the... Not when I was writing this episode. I'm not Alfredo Barrios Jr. <laughs> Although, what a twist that would be. I was, I was oh, writing That would be so notes. disappointing to yeah. find out that you were Alfredo Barrios Jr. I would... I, I respect your writing right now when you are Chris <laughs> Cherry. I think it would be almost as disappointing as the eventual reveal of this episode. But we'll get there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they go to wait for Fee at the bar, and Sam guilts Michael into helping to find out about this Dumont guy because Sam like knows about shit that goes down in Haiti, and he's like, "It's real bad. It's real bad in Haiti, guys. Just bad shit happens. Like, we should, we should help." And yeah, because Sam is really worried about Michael's honor. <laughs> And it turns, and so Michael relents, and then Sam's like, well, good, because I've already looked into it. (laughs) In the time that they went from Michael's apartment to the bar, Sam has already made calls. What happened to the fish? I I think the bar is cooking it up. (laughs) That's That's the only canon that I will accept. Moving on. And yeah, and Sam has done some digging, and he already knows the bar at which Dumont hangs out. Um, We're back, baby. And then Madeline calls and says, there's been a break-in at her place. And so Sam and Michael just leave without (laughs) calling Fee or anything without like leaving a note or letting the waiters know they abandoned the fish. (laughs) And that's the real crime. It was a big fish. Anyway. It was a really big fish. It was like bigger than Sam. It was. It swallowed Sam. He had to fight his way out. That's the backstory. We don't see it, but that's what happened. I know. I wrote this episode. <laughs> and Michael goes to Madeline's and it turns out the break-in was that someone had broken into had broken into Madeline's car and stole the radio. And Michael is disappointed. This is not what he expected. (laughs) Um, This really kind of harkens back. A lot in this episode actually harkens back to season one burn notice. Like in implicit and explicit ways. Um, But like, especially in this plot here about the car. But yeah, uh, it turns out that someone had broken in the car and stole the radio. And Madeline says that there's been break-ins all over the neighborhood. And Madeline basically wants to work the case with Michael. But sadly, that's not what this episode is. <laughs> Michael wants nothing to do with that. That would be such a good episode, like Michael and Madeline solving a case together. Are you kidding me? Exactly. Because, like, so... remember the episode where they were in therapy together and Michael makes a list of things he likes about his mom and one of them was that she helped him break his case? Exactly. She also says... The car won't start now 
because Michael's dad had wired the radio to the engine, to the the to fucking the ignition. the ignition. Yeah, and so now the car does not work. End of scene. So Sam and Michael find Dumont at the place where he hangs out, and Sam explains, and I'm just I'm gonna like save this whole speech like verbatim. Because this speech is a lot. Again, we're in Barrios land, which means that, like, bad guys are the worst guys. And, like, crime is never fun. Crime is only bad, and the only things that are good are family values in the Bible. You wouldn't steal a car. It's like Um, that kind of... It's like old school, like don't pirate music yeah. add energy. Like that is the Alfredo Barrios Jr. brand. Exactly. Um and so Sam explains that um Dumont's father was a regional governor governor in Haiti. And this is again, this is all like verbatim what Sam says. Damn near turned damn near turned corruption into an art form. Died a few years back. Party boy there ran the local prison. Anybody that complained went there. Lucky ones were just executed. Then, after the election, the whole family disappeared with most of the island's GNP. Now he's Luke Renard. He chases skirts, throws parties at his place at Sar Island. Mike, I'm telling you, we can do this. (laughs) What I will say, though, is that all of this is way underplayed. We've had some other episodes, like the Bible episode, or, and I was re-listening to the episode that we put out a couple of weeks ago, where I was, like, very incredulous that everyone was so mad about scamming sick kids. (laughs) And I will admit that I do sound like a horrible person there. (laughs) But my problem with that is the way that it was pitched, it was so, like over the top whereas what i actually do as ridiculous as that monologue is um it's very underplayed and i think a lot of that comes down to the direction i think like a lot of really kind of like dark stuff happens in this and like very kind of like barrios like moralizing but everything about the way the actors do it is underplayed but not like muted just like everything's kind of played at a more realistic pitch, so it gets to hit harder. Like, um, Bruce Campbell's not really sneering as he says all this stuff. Like, it's all, like, sneering kind of stuff, but it's, like, played in a more, like, low-key way. Mm-hmm. And it's also really well shot. Like, they're in this club, and, like, the lighting of it's really nice. The lighting in this episode is, in general, better than the show tends to be. And so this could have been way more annoying than it was and i was with it anyway so michael calls fiona and has her come to the club uh which is good because she's presumably still waiting for them at the restaurant (laughs) she's been there all day and is like what the fuck guys i want a shot like i want a shot so bad of fiona just sitting there at the restaurant looking around and then a waiter brings her a giant fish God, I wish we were writing bird notice, Chris. Right? We would be so good at it. It would be a very different show, but we'd be so good at it. Oh, God. 
Anyway, so Fee arrives at the club and gets Dumont's attention by being pretty and speaking French. He tells her to come to his house, and then there at the house, she flirts with him and tries to get info on him and the house and whether he bought the house and all that stuff. And then she she gets him to leave her alone for a bit by suggesting that they find like a third or a fourth, um, which she like enthusiastically agrees to. And then he leaves so she can bug his office. Um, <laughs> in this whole sequence and like these both of these scenes, we get a lot of like really burn noticey editing. And, like, <laughs> season one burn notice editing. Yeah, and I, I noticed that even from the beginning of this episode. Like, not just that, like, we immediately start with, like, boobs and butts, but, like, in, a, in that frantic burn notice season one way where they're, like, worried that we're going to get bored. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of the editing of burn notice, like, the original kind, like, editing style was just, like, insecurity because i really do think that they were terrified that like their obvious lack of a budget was going to like get in the way of them doing like a cool stunty spy show but like guys last week was bad breaks give yourself a break what i do think is that it is used in this episode with more purpose like in the scene where fee meets dumont they, they do that split screen thing that they love to do, but they actually use it in this really cool way where, like, the split screen keeps them into their own little, like, screens and, like, and, like, kind of keeps cutting between. But, like, eventually, at the end of the scene, when, like, they're basically done flirting and have decided that they're going to go off together, like, the split screens kind of come together and suddenly they're in the same shot. And that was really cool. Like, it felt like it was being used with purpose to build to something. And, like, the editing in this episode isn't always that way, but it does feel more purposeful. Like, I get the sense that, like, maybe the director watched season one of Burn Notice and was like, well, this is the thing that we do. This is the thing that this show is. So I got to do this. But, like, he's also more talented, so he's like, well, it's got to pay off to something. There's also another thing that this episode does in this next scene that I think is really interesting where, like, there's another one of those weird kind of, like, fade montage things where, like, people are just moving, but it's, like, stopping, like, freeze frame mm-hmm. and then fade. And it's it's just weird. But that's happening. And then, like, Fee suggests that, oh, go find someone else so we can all have sex together. And he gets really excited about that. And then, like, she watches him go. And then, like, once he's gone, she kind of goes to his office. But, like, there's a jump cut. There's this very, like, obvious and, like, almost jarring jump cut. Where she's looking at him. And then it cuts to her walking down the hall. Like, we're in the same shot, but it just, like, some of, like... Like, a second and a half of, like, footage is gone. And so, like, but, like, it kind of really highlights the the sense of, like, oh, she's putting something on for him. And now that's gone and she's just being Fee again. It, like, it feels like it's telling a story. And I, I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Fee gets to do a lot of fun stuff in this episode. 
She doesn't get to... Did she get to blow anything up? Um, I don't remember. We'll see. I don't think so, but she does get, like, she gets a lot more scenes, which I always like. Like, scenes where Fiona is, like, the leading force are always strong. No, yeah, definitely. Anyway, while she's bugging Dumont's office, Claude shows up in the, like, driveway of Dumont's house and then climbs on top of the roof of his car and he has a bull, like, a megaphone Mm -hmm. and just starts shouting into the megaphone about how, like, this guy is actually... Jean-Pierre Dumont, and he's like a murderer, and he murdered his daughter, all this stuff, uh, not being subtle. And so Fee calls Michael and says, okay, you need to come get him now, because otherwise they're going to kill him. Um, And like, yeah, you can see Dumont like assembling his kind of, his goons. uh, And another really cool shot, actually, of like panning from the goons to Fee and all this stuff. And so Michael and Sam like rush over and then Michael goes and grabs like Claude and gets him out of there before he gets shot. And it and it did remind me, I guess it makes sense that they couldn't find Claude to let him know. Cause yeah, he didn't leave any information. They like and yeah. he's like he doesn't even live in Miami. He's just like visiting. Exactly. So it does sort of track and I don't know how he got in from Haiti. So like but at the same time, like they're always, they should have been able to find the bar that he hangs out at. <laughs> but yeah, so this is how they they get Claude into the fold. So um, Michael and Sam bring Claude back to Michael so Claude can watch Michael eat a yogurt. And Claude wants to know why Michael changed his mind. And Sam says, it's because Michael is an honorable man. Just a bit slow sometimes. Sam is so worried about defending Michael's honor. Again, it's so it's so much about honor. It's like a Star Trek episode about Klingons. Um, that's Alfredo Barrios Jr.'s vibe. It's Star Trek Klingon episode. <laughs> um, so Michael tells Claude to go back to Haiti because they've got it from there. They're gonna go. They're gonna get Dumont to prove he is who he says he is. And Claude like objects to this at first, but then he says. I understand. And that's the end of it. Yep. Uh, yep. So Michael that's a, Sam... That's a series wrap on Claude. It's a series wrap on Claude. So Michael, Sam, and Fee meet for an ex- exposition lunch. Finally, Fee gets to have lunch with them. And Fee says that she's having trouble finding info on who smuggled the assassin into Miami because people smugglers and gut smugglers don't get along for some reason. I don't know how people smugglers feel about money launderers, though, and I think we should find out. (laughs) But she's going to keep looking. Then Sam does his bit of exposition. And apparently, Dumont's family used to do business with a multinational corporation called Flint Ridge Industries that is being investigated by the FBI. And so then, Michael asks Sam if he's still on good terms with those two FBI guys from season one who are the worst actors. And I pray that means that we get to see them again. (laughs) <laughs> and we do. Spoiler and, alert. Yeah. And spoiler alert, we will get to see them again. Um, this is also another scene that really, like, leans on um, Fee and Sam not liking each other. Um, And, like, and specifically for the reasons that they used to not like each other in season one. Yeah, like, maybe. I mean, but I also just think that, like, it follows based on, like, 
where they are at in their relationship. Like, you're right. I think it probably is a little bit of like a meta commentary on like, remember in season one where you were buddy buddy with the FBI and Fiona was mad at you. But like now it feels more playful now. Like it feels more like like sibling banter. The thing is, last week it totally did. This time Fee seems like genuinely upset about it. I don't know. Like the way that it's played feels weird. And I, and again, like, especially since like a couple of weeks ago, like we were getting more like animosity towards them because of Fee banging Michael and like Sam was annoyed about it. And I don't know. It's a conflict that I don't particularly care for and don't like seeing. Um, but yeah, so we do get to meet the, uh, terrible actor FBI guys, uh, from season one. Um, and they acquit themselves adequately in the scene, but they're still obviously bad at acting. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're kind of just like a nothing. There's like a void where charisma yeah. usually is. Exactly. Um, but Sam tells them that he knows that deep down the FBI is just full of good guys who want to catch bad guys. Cause Alfredo Barrios Jr. And so he wants to give them a bad guy and then hopefully get them promoted because right now they're like, they're staking out a bad guy's grandmother. And like the whole scene is about how much it sucks for them to be on grandma duty, but they don't really, but they don't really deserve like real FBI duties because they're like bad actors. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're bad actors. And also, I think they've been sort of demoted because they did such a bad job looking after Michael. And that too. But like, they're now comfortably a joke. I mean, they were kind of a joke in season one, but they're like now, as the show has grown, they're like, it's almost like looking back on these guys and saying, God, remember when we were that show? Like, <laughs> these guys are such doofuses now. Again, talking about Buffy again, it's kind of like how... And any time in Buffy or Angel, they would bring back the master from the first season. He gets yeah. goofier and goofier and goofier. Yep. Because it's like, well, we've grown beyond this. So Michael approaches Dumont at a fancy restaurant and calls him by name to get his attention. Uh, Michael says that his name is Owen Matthews. And he tells Dumont that the FBI is right outside. And sure enough, there's Tweedledee and Tweedledum right on schedule. <laughs> Because Sam had given them info to be at this place at this time. Which actually, like, I felt like when I was watching the previous scene and he gave him that info, like, he was going to deliver them Dumont, but it was really just something to prove Michael's bona fides, or bona fides, however you like to say it. And so they really just got played. But he explains, Michael explains that he works for the people who worked for Flintstone Flintstone, Flintridge Industries, uh, when they worked with the Dumont <laughs> they family. Make, they make Flintstone vitamins. <laughs> they do, yeah. Um, and that it's Michael's job to make sure that basically no one knows that Dumont is Dumont because, and to make sure that like no one connects him to Flintridge Industries. And so he he's explaining that he will like totally wipe away any traces of his old identity. Uh, but Dumont, Dumont does not seem interested. Largely on behalf of Flintridge, right? Yeah. This this kind of like this is one of the parts where the sh- the show kind of lost me. Like the beautiful the like the beautiful angelic simplicity of Bad Breaks made it really hard for me to like dive back into a Burn Notice episode where there's like a lot of plot contrivances that I'm like I, who are you? Why are you guys friends now? Who cares? 
I mean, like, it, I get why it is that. Though. Like, it, it, it makes it more plausible for Dumont than it than it just being, like, a guy showing up saying, hey, I can wipe your identity. No it's reason. It's just so inelegant. I mean, it is. I've, I've gotten used to elegance, Chris. You've had a taste of elegance. I had a taste of opulence and elegance, and now it's all gone. Anyway, back in the Madeline's car plot that for some reason exists in this episode... <laughs> Madeline's trying to fix the car and Michael sends Sam to help her and she gets mad when Sam tries to help her fix the car and she's like I can do things by myself and she also explains that like um, she can do things by herself in dealing with this break-in case that she is working by herself <laughs> honestly she- the more compelling plot of this episode no offense but the car still doesn't run though so she asks Sam if Sam can give her a ride to partner stretching. <laughs> partner stretching class. And when he says yes, she's like, that's great, because I need a partner for partner stretching. <laughs> and so you can go there, be my partner, and then and then drive me home. Which is amazing. We've talked about how we want more like Madeline and Sam. And so I'm glad we get at least this. This and is it, exactly what we meant, but we also want you to go further, you cowards. Show us exactly. the class. Show exactly. us the partner that, stretching. Because that, like, because, again, that really ties in, like, Madeline with Sam's whole thing where he takes classes with ladies. <laughs> and now he takes partner stretching, which obviously... I, I understand what that means, I think. Like, it's like you do, it's like a sort of, like, yoga type thing or whatever. And, like, all this. But it really sounds like you go there and you grab your partner and you stretch them. Like a like a Stretch Armstrong, just kind of like, like Sam is going there and getting stretched by Madeline. So we cut to the next scene. And Sam is all sore because of the partner stretching. <laughs> and isn't he kind of like walking like a penguin? Because he's so he like, is. Like, sore. Because like it's something about like his legs. He like takes a beer and puts it in his crotch. Like he's icing his sore muscles. <laughs> um, and then he, he explains that he uses a lot of muscle terms. And I don't want to go into it. But he also tells Michael... That Michael should deal with his mom in the car. <laughs> He's done with it now. He is all stretched out. <laughs> yeah, his hip flexors can't take much more of this. Yeah. Uh, Michael, meanwhile, is listening to the bug in Dumont's office. And Dumont wants to know why the FBI is tailing him. And his, I'm just going to say assistant, says <laughs> qu- quite rightly that it's probably related to that dude who was shouting at his house with a megaphone earlier. <laughs> So, like, his assistant tells him where Claude is staying. Because, like, his goons were able to find Claude. <laughs> no problem. And, like, the where he's staying at the moment, which is a hotel in Miami and definitely not Haiti. And so suddenly it becomes a race to see who can get to Claude first. A race that they basically tie at. Uh, I don't know how long... Michael and Sam beat them to it, but it seems like they got there at basically the same time. How can you? Uh, 
yeah, they get there on the same time, and Dumont's there with his death squad, as Sam calls it. And so Michael, and like Sam's ready to just go like take him. He's got like a fucking, as he says, he's here with his death squad. Sam pumps a shotgun. Yeah, Sam's ready to fucking fight in this episode. He'll exactly. fight for Michael's honor. He'll fight for Claude's honor. He'll fight for honor. He fights for honor. Because like, crime guys are bad. That's another thing that's kind of running through this episode. That, again, feels very Alfredo Barrios. Um, and a thing that I do actually kind of appreciate a little bit, although it's laid on really thick, there's a lot of voiceover in this episode that's just about how murderers are lame. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that was, I, sh- I didn't, re- I, I, I never pay attention to like the writer directors of your episodes, the ones that you recap. But when I heard the voiceover that like murderers are just scum or like whatever that voiceover was, where he's just like very like cut and dry about like how murderers are the worst people of yeah. on earth, I was like, I think I have an assumption of who wrote this episode. Yeah, and so like Sam is like, we gotta waste this guy because like. He's a bad guy, and so he's lame and awful. But yeah, Michael thinks he's got a way that he can solve this without anyone having to shoot anyone. So Michael runs up in character as Owen Matthews, and he's conveniently dressed enough like Owen Matthews that it works. <laughs> I mean, Owen Matthews is basically Michael in, like, a gray suit instead of a tan suit, but he's wearing the right suit. Um, And... And he tells Dumont that if if he kills Claude, it'll validate everything that Claude is saying. And so he can't let him do that. And when Dumont attempts to push past him, Michael pulls a gun on him and says that the truth can't come out about Dumont's identity. And that if it, like, he'll kill, he'll kill him in order to save his identity. And then he says with his gun pointed at Dumont, like, that he can change his story or he can end it. Which is admittedly a pretty good line. It's a pretty good line. I just looked up the tip because I didn't think the spy tip was going to be in your recap because it's not practical. But the the what the 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 moment that I realized, oh, this is definitely my boy Barrios was killers by and large are whining losers. Yeah, I do have a think about that later when he says it. Okay, yeah. okay, good. Because <laughs> like that was the moment where I'm like, okay, I see where we're at. Like he has sort of the morality of like the New York Post and the way that like John Mulaney describes it. So like and the night and so like killers are bad whiny losers and the most pure thing is this man's dead daughter. <laughs> They're angels. Dead children are angels. Yes. So yeah, uh, Michael convinces Damon, uh, Dumont that he can change his past, and Dumont tells him to be at his house the next day. Um, we're all out, we're all outside of Claude's hotel room, but we never ever see Claude. By the way, he may not have even been home. <laughs> he could have been out, like getting a Jamba Juice. But we do see Claude, like in the next scene, back at Michael's apartment, because Michael and Sam yell at him for not leaving Miami, and then he says that he didn't lie about leaving. All that he he said that he understood that it was dangerous, <laughs> and technically he did not lie, and thus he still. <laughs> And thus, he still has his honor. And if the and if the court stenographer will read it back, you will see that I did not perjure myself. Oh. Uh, and then Sam says his daughter wouldn't want him to die. And then Claude says that's what 
like everyone said when he was trying to save his daughter from prison. And then he calls himself a coward for not being able to save her and that he won't stop now until like she gets justice. And then like Michael realizes that Claude's anger and is righteous and pure and decides <laughs> to let him stay. I'm and making now he fun of it. it. I'm like making fun of it, but I actually really like this scene. Um I think um, Basil Wallace, the actor playing Claude, really, like, sells it. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's a lot, but it never feels over the top. It feels like it's pitched just right, which, again, I think is down to directing. I think it's down to, this, like, the director directing these actors to, like, get them right to the edge of what works and feels dramatic, but without crossing over into melodramatic. It, like, tiptoes on that line, but never quite jumps over it. Yeah. No, I would agree uh, with that. And so, like, the emotions of this scene play. Um, and there's also this really cool shot where, like, Claude's, like, about to leave. And, like, and Michael is in the foreground kind of looking away. And then Claude is opening the door. And then, like, Michael stops him and turns back to him. Mike, and Claude is in the background of the shot. And, like, Michael's in the foreground. Um, and, like, it's all really well staged. And even, like, the, the like, reverse shot of, like, Sam. There's a really pretty shot of Sam. And, like, they're really good about, like, putting, like, some Michael and Sam in the same part of the frame. Up until the point where Michael has to turn and look at Sam, they move the camera just enough so that the shot reverse shot works. But, like, it all just, it's really good directing. <laughs> I get why this guy directs prestige shows and was shoots Spike a, Lee Was this movies. like an early thing that he directed? This is like mid. He's done mid. a lot of television. Like, Does he but direct I mean, like, another episode of Burn Notice? Is it, is he directs one, one? one more. He directs one more episode of Burn Notice. Again, like this is this is post-L Word. <laughs> We're living and in probably, a post-L Word, L Word world. Yeah. And I think this, this would have been post The Wire, too. So he's already done, like, The Wire. And I guess that's true. Yeah, Tremaine. The Wire definitely was pre-burn notice. Exactly. Um, but before, like, The Walking Dead and stuff. Before Bosch. Do you know what Bosch is? No one does. I don't. But it exists. <laughs> so you said. Meanwhile... Fee has found the guy who smuggled the assassin in. And his name is Gary. And luckily, he knows Fiona by reputation well enough to be scared of her. Um, he tells her that he dropped the guy off at a storage unit when he arrived. And then gives her the storage unit info. And it's really simple. I really like this scene, too. Um, <laughs> Gabrielle Anwar is really good in this scene. She's good in everything. Anytime they give her a scene where she gets to talk dialogue... Like, she is fit. She is electric. Yeah. And, like, but, like, sh- what's really good about this is that, like, she gets to play, like, she plays it, like, really, like, haha, kind of, like, girly or whatever. Here. Yeah. But also, like, in a way that's legitimately very intimidating. And, like, the way that, like, Fee is usually played on this show is, like, if she's intimidating, it's because she's got a gun and she's being, like, wild. You know, mm-hmm. whereas like what what she's doing here is very purposeful. You know, it's yeah. not a sense. You don't get the sense that like Fee is acting unpredictable unpredict- and crazy like the way they like to play her sometimes that she's like a wild card. 
Like, she's just being really, like, intimidating in a purposeful way with agency, which I really like. It's just business. Exactly. And I also really like, we don't, we never really play with her, like, status as a gun smuggler. Mm -hmm. And so I really like that we got to do that right here. So I enjoyed this scene. Michael checks in on Madeline and offers to help with fixing the car. But Madeline again refuses, like, I can fix the car myself. So she refuses. Then Madeline asks Michael to come with her to look at mugshots at the police station, and Michael refuses. Like mother, like son. <laughs> stubborn apple doesn't fall far from the stubborn tree. It does not. It stays stubbornly close. <laughs> so, uh, then we move on, and Fee tells Michael that she thinks she's found the assassin's storage unit. And then Michael tells her to call the storage place and tell them that Gustavo is dead, that she's going to come by to look at the unit after hours. And again, I don't know if, like, the assassin had put the place under the name Gustavo or if they're just calling Gustavo. I don't know. It doesn't matter, but it annoys me. (laughs) The point is, they're going to come look at the unit at night. And they've told the place about it. So then we cut to a long sequence of Michael walking into Dumont's place, like just walking through his yard or whatever. And it's got, and it's one of those patented season one burn notice. Like we just have Michael walking, but we're going to do 20 shots of it and like lens flares and play hard rock music. (laughs) Just of like Michael walking down a fucking sidewalk or something. Well, there's like, He's and Dumont's like rich, so there's like random statuary <laughs> to let us know that this is a rich guy. So yeah, in like in possibly like twice as long as it would actually take, Michael walks through a yard. I think they just like to show off, like show him off whenever he's wearing a costume that has any colors other than beige. True. And they're right to, because even though I don't like his look in this episode, um, although I think without like the gross slick back hair, it would definitely be a better look. But like, I like him with a little color. Mm-hmm. Like the beige just washes him out. Like it, it makes him look more like a bathroom sign of a man because his clothing and skin tone are the same. Yes. It should Give be like... Michael Weston a dark suit and a bright, like saturated shirt. Give my boy some color. Let him wear one of those fucking shirts that makes him look like an Easter egg. (laughs) Honestly, kind of. Yeah, I think Michael Weston would look delightful. Well, I think he he looks. He would look. I think he would look better in like more earth tones. Like I don't know if pink is exactly his color because like he kind of has like a pink egg head. Um, So what do you want? You want like a a neon forest green? Okay, well, it, you can't have a neon forest green. But like I know you can't, but you were like we need bright colors and also earth tones. Well, yeah, but like it doesn't need to be warm. I think he needs to be like like cooler tones. So like blues, you know? Put him in yeah. blues, put him in like greens, like a nice forest or like a teal even. Can you yeah, imagine no, how nice Michael would look with like kind of a lighter teal shirt and like He'd a look dark navy suit? I love a teal. Yes. <laughs> this has been queer eye for the spy guy. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, eventually, Michael gets into the house. 
It's been 20 years. Uh, and while Sam listens in from the outside on a woggy, Michael asks Dumont for any info that could tie him to his old life. And Dumont brings out a very convenient suitcase of old paperwork. And then Dumont asks if Michael wants to meet his father. Because it turns out, daddy's still alive. As Sam says, word for word. I'm really, it's, it's good to have like audio footage of Bruce Campbell saying daddy's still alive. <laughs> it's definitely not the first or last time he has said it. Nope. And then, uh, and so daddy Dumont walks in and then he says that he's been talking to his old Flint Ridge contacts and they have no idea who Owen Matthews is. Isn't it a reveal that the dad is alive? Yes, it is a reveal that the dad is alive. Yeah. Because, yeah, we'd established that the dad was dead. I have, like, zero emotional connection to, like, this case of the week at all. So, like, when he walked in, I was like, okay, there's another guy here, I guess. Like, I don't know. I just had a really hard time connecting with this episode's, like, case of the week. I enjoyed the episode, like... You know, I had a good time, but like, I don't know. I just, I had a really, really hard time grasping what was happening this episode. You're coming down from bad breaks. I was. I just didn't care. <laughs> and it's Barrios doing Barrios stuff. But yeah, so dad's al- daddy's alive and he's called his like Flint Ridge contacts. They have not heard of Owen Matthews at all, which Dumont reacts to with like surprise, which is weird because it means that like his dad didn't tell him. <laughs> he's like like his dad comes out and says like so you're not who you say you are and Dumont's like what what like even though like it felt like this was planned because Dumont was like you want to meet my dad like this was all like supposed to be a thing was like was his was daddy Dumont like hey he's gonna show up just be like hey you want to meet my dad don't worry I'll explain later <laughs> but yeah Dumont is shocked because like he's like he because Michael knows everything about him but is not who he says he is um, and so Sam shoots like shoots like a plate glass window like onto a balcony and then Michael jumps through it and then escapes I this was the moment that I started to get slightly into this episode only because like <laughs> This is, I think, the first time that one of his aliases has gone so spectacularly wrong that he just, like, bails out a window. And they just stop all pretense. He's like, he doesn't even try to flip it. He's just like, you know what? You got me. And then he jumps out a window. Yeah, I did enjoy that. Like, because I was watching it thinking, how is he going to flip this? And (laughs) And then he just does it. You know, sometimes you got to admit when you're beat. He just bailed. So now it's clear they can't use documents to get Dumont to Haiti. But, like, the documents were only just supposed to get him to Haiti, so they had to figure out another way to get him to Haiti. And so they just decided to abduct him. Uh, And they, like, and so they get a truck and then, like, fill it full of, like, cardboard boxes and mattresses. And then cut, like, they don't cut a hole in the roof. Nope. No, 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 no. I mean, because he's a, what was it, like a whiny loser? Whiny losers don't get a hole cut in the roof. Yeah. Um, They just, like, cut the roof so that when they throw him into it, because that's what they're going to do, they're going to toss him from a great height 
into this truck. And it's not like a pickup truck. It's like a, like a shipping truck. So, like, they've perforated the roof so that when he falls through it, it will collapse. Um, but how, how do we get him off the roof, Chris? Well, you'll find out. You see, first of all, Sam meets Tweedledee and Tweedledum again. Um, and they now know enough about Dumont that they also think he's awful and a whiny loser and want to help. Um, and they say they can't help officially, but unofficially, what do you need? And then Fee meets up with Dumont and then invites him back to her hotel. And this is the point where Michael talks in voiceover about how much of a self-pitying, whiny loser he is. And then, uh, so uh, Fee takes him to the hotel room and then, like, injects him with allergy medicine to knock him out. And then, but, but like under under the guise of like they're about to have lots of sex, he like locks himself in the room and puts the thing on the hotel door that like you can't open the door with. Yeah. Uh, so like he he's like making a lot of assumptions about like how safe how well he is, is in this go. moment. Yeah. And then she like pretends to massage him and then just like fucking stabs him in the back. Yep. And then Michael comes in. Like on a rope ladder from the room above them. Uh, from the room from above the balcony. It's fucking delightful. And so over the top. He like comes in, like from the rope ladder, gets in. The two of them grab Dumont and just throw him over the balcony. <laughs> throw this unconscious man over the balcony. And luckily, <laughs> he lands on the truck. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's some fucking good aim because, like, that's like a, especially from that height, a pretty narrow target. It is. And they're decently high up. I, I'm pretty sure this man is dead. I'm pretty sure they're transporting a corpse. Yeah. Um. Well, no, because the ceiling was perforated. But yeah, and then they escape up the rope ladder so that when um, Dumont's goons finally come into the room... Like, no one's there. They Batman right the fuck out of there. And at which point, they take the somehow still alive Dumont and put him <laughs> in the trunk of a car and yep. give him to Claude. He is now Claude's responsibility. I don't... Yep. And then... And, like, Sam and Sam's FBI buddies, like, have arranged, like, for a boat to get them to Haiti. But, like, I don't know if anyone's going with Claude. Or is... Claude, it seems, just has, like... Dumont in the trunk of a car tied up with duct tape on him on his face and like that's it. Mm-hmm. Well he also like, has like the righteous dis- like burning of a job well done in his gullet. He does. He does have that. So I uh, think he'll be fine. Justice has yeah. been done, Chris. Don't question it. Um yeah. Uh, Claude s- tells Michael that uh his daughter would have liked Michael and that she was very brave. And like her father, Michael replies. And it's just, uh, that's not Barrios. <laughs> but that again, rascal under, Barrios. But underplayed. Like, it could have been so much cheesier than it was. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there, there is a version of this episode that I'm glad we didn't watch. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, meanwhile, in the Madeline subplot, Michael arrives at Madeline's to help fix the car. And he's like... I'm going to fix it this time. But she's already done it. Um, she found a diagram in her husband's old papers to show how the wires were supposed to go. 
and then she just makes the car work like it's supposed to work again. And then she posits that Michael's dad wired the car that way so that he could be the only one who would fix it and he would always be needed, which is wild. <laughs> yeah, wait, just it comes out of nowhere. It's attached to nothing. It gives us nothing new about any of these dynamics or relationships. The man is fucking dead. Why do I give a shit what he did with a car 20 years ago? Like and it's this not- this scene is nothing. Yeah, I don't understand why this subplot is happening in this episode. She also says that, like, she caught the robbers because the, the, they were a bunch yeah. of kids who, like, escaped out of a neighbor's house. And she recognized them from their mugshots and she called the police. The one time on Bird Notice that calling the police was the right idea. <laughs> and, like, that's it. And, like, I, it's not connected to anything else. There's no sense of, like, it's not thematically linked in any way no not at all there's not even like some sort of like you know fathers will do whatever they can for their kids even fuck up a car so that they are always needed like it's not even like they don't even try it's just like oh That's also like, madeline's in this episode and again it's that burned out his thing of like if that's true that's the most wild manipulative shit and like just kind of like playing it off like oh man what a like, oh, what a weird guy. <laughs> like, no. And I think, like, Jeffrey Donovan does kind of play it like, Jesus. But in yeah. general, it's just kind of, like, brushed aside. Like, what is this? Um, And then we check in with the FBI guys one last time. And Sam thanks them for helping to get Claude and Dumont out of the country. And then also gives them some info that can help get uh, Daddy Dumont uh, behind bars. And then he demands that they pay for drinks. <laughs> um, that's a wrap on FBI guys. Hopefully forever. I, I don't actually imagine. remember. I don't either. Anyway, and then at the end of the episode, Michael and Fee go to the storage unit at night, expecting to be ambushed by whoever hired the assassin. Um, and when the when whoever this mysterious person or group of people although it's one person is shows up they like decide to draw him out by shooting a flare in the air which i guess means he can't hide because of the flare or like the flare lets him know that they're onto him or i don't know but like michael shoots a flare in the air and so the guy who's there to kill him runs instead and like is like running on top of storage unit buildings and jumping across them and like parkouring it up and well michael just kind of chases him and and explains that the only thing that he has to do is to keep him in eyesight and then it's fine although apparently it's not fine because he jumps on the other side of a fence and um this guy escapes this man who tried to get michael killed escapes uh but not before revealing who he is for the audience and it's victor from earlier in the season I yeah, guess. yeah. Remember it's, him? We, that we stole a, a sniper rifle with him, and exactly. he wanted to kill some guards, and then they didn't. But he liked that Michael didn't yeah, kill it's, the guards it's him. with style. He's actually kind of Jason Bly, but worse. Yeah, um, we've. I think that was what we called him like earlier on in the season. He's like, yeah, he's just another white guy who's like a problem with Michael. And but like also, he works at the very least for. Or with Carla. 
so like what's this deal and like i'm sure we'll find out what his deal is but like at this point we're starting to get into x-files territory of like plot convolution <laughs> like i can't like imagine a version of this that's satisfying like yeah because he was just some guy that worked with carla and lifted a fucking sniper rifle with michael exactly it just becomes a like oh it's got to be some it's more effective if it's someone we've seen before so here's victor you know who would it would who it would it have been a better reveal for it to be lucy lawless yeah yeah and like <laughs> she and carla are like evil doer like lady pair twins like you know they're like their lady boss friends yeah but they're like rivals or something. Yeah, they're rivals, but they're like also kind of uh, like begrudgingly respect each other. And it's like all of this like really like high level sexual tension. And Michael's yeah. caught in between. And like they both flirt with him, but really who they're flirting with is each other. Yes. Again, would have been better. Would have been better. God. I would love to see Trisha Helfer and Lucy Lawless flirt. I think that would be incredible. Did they ever do that in Battlestar? Uh, oh, you were right. They were in Battlestar. I don't think that their plot lines overlapped enough. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, like, Trisha Helfer was pretty much, like, attached at the hip to fucking Gaius Baltar. And half the time was only in his head. There was an, there was another one, though. There was a Yeah, but was she like... comes in much later. And I feel like they're... But I mean, like, I feel like Lucy Lawless was later in the show. I don't know. Maybe. This has been your Battlestar moment for this episode. We re- I really do need to rewatch Battlestar. I tried to a while back, but, like, it's it's one of those shows that's incredible, but also it has it has in- really high highs and really low lows. Like, fucking Fatly Adama season. What the fuck was happening? Oh, my God. He's married to D, and he's fat and has really bad like jowls d's unhappy oh, god it's all bad it's all bad yeah it was weird and then like starbuck like gets really religious yeah and like and then, becomes like, an angel or something spoilers yeah, maybe yeah spoilers for Battlestar. <laughs> i don't even know if starbuck is after is starbuck anymore after a certain yeah. point it's unclear it's so unclear. So that's why it's it's one of those things where, like, you know where when you have to do something, but you know, like, one element of it is it is going to be hard. And so it, like, takes you three times as long to start the thing because you're, like, dreading the one part of it that's going to be, like, irritating or hard. That's, like, yeah. me rewatching Battlestar Galactica is that I know that at one point I'm going to get irritated and that there's going to be good stuff on the other side of irritation. And I'm going to feel, like, accomplished and, like, that I've completed something. But I still have to engage with the irritating thing yeah no i know exactly what you mean anyway uh speaking of irritating (laughs) let's talk about spy tips this week none of the spy tips were good not really which is surprising none of them were good i guess michael horowitz did have 12 last week that were fucking bangers so maybe he stole all the steez but like barrios like that's the thing about barrios and nicks like this is the thing that they care about but this week like, I have some here, and they're all borderline. Like, every single one. Yeah, that's fair. So, like, I'm going to go through them and, like... <laughs> but I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to... Yeah, but, like, <laughs> y- 
you could say no to every single one of them, and I would be like, yeah. So let's do that. We may do that. All right. All right. First one. And believe it or not, these are the ones that I kept. When someone is asking for sensitive information, it's basic security to make sure that the person you're dealing with is who he says he is. An easy way is to change details that the other person would know. Yeah, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll allow it only because, like, there is a piece of practical advice that, like, is a good reminder when you're, like, meeting someone you've never met before. Like, yeah, it was so great to m have met you on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Ha! I met you on Twitter. You know, it's like a nice yeah. reminder. I'll exactly. allow it, but it's, it's on thin ice. It's not like this is one of the, mo the most common tropes in the book or anything. <laughs> anyway, people love the sound of their native tongue. Even the most security conscious person often lets his guard down when he hears somebody who speaks his language. If that somebody happens to be in a designer dress, so much the better. Yeah, this is fucking borderline, but I will also allow it only because, like, that's not something that I would consider. Like, if I was approaching someone, I would, like, probably follow the sort of tropes of previous approaches for, like, previous bad guys. Um, rather than just, like, what if I just speak French? <laughs> they speak French. <laughs> also... Like, I don't remember. Was Fee's, was Fee's dress a designer dress? I mean, it was probably pretty nice. Well, it was about as a designer of a dress as Michael's suit was Armani that one episode. Yeah. Someone designed this dress at some point. Yep. that It, it is a dress that was designed. This is not a dress that happened organically. <laughs> it did not leap up from the ground fully formed. It did not evolve from earlier forms of dress. Staying hidden isn't always about sticking to the shadows. In fact, if your enemy's eyes are adjusted to the dark, there's no better place to be than behind the brightest light you can find. That, no. What? No. The fuck does that even mean? Get behind bright lights when it's dark. No, that's nothing. Get out of here. All right, gotta get that shirt. <laughs> I was just thinking that. If you've spent time working for the government, you understand that it's a game with its own rules. If you want to make the government work for you, you have to understand how the game is played. An FBI agent might hate you, but if working with you gets him out of an assignment he hates even more, you've got yourself a partner. Partner. No. Uh. No. All right, fuck that one too. I mean, do you want to discuss it? No. Like I said... If you say no to any of these, I will immediately strike them because I think they're all bad. Yeah. No, that like even the ones that I've allowed have been fucking wet farts. I'm afraid that we're going to allow too many and that <laughs> this episode will get a pass that I don't think it should get. Well, we've only we've only allowed two in so far. So we'll see. All right. Being a fugitive takes work. When you're being hunted, hiding isn't something you can do effectively without help. So the best way to catch a fugitive isn't to approach him as one of the people hunting him down. It's to approach him as one of the people who can help him stay on the run. You mean when you're trying to catch someone who doesn't want to be caught, you shouldn't say, I'm here to catch you. Yes. 
What a fucking revelation. Absolutely not. Next. As a spy, it's usually best to be unknown. Wow. It allows, it allows you to adjust to any situation and be whoever you need to be. However, there are certain advantages to being known. A reputation can be a powerful tool. <laughs> what? What am I supposed to do with that, Michael? Huh? Someone's a powerful tool. It takes a lot longer to pull a gun than most people think it does. Almost five seconds on an average on average, to draw and line up a shot. Whether this is good news or bad news depends on what side of the gun you're on. I'll allow that. That Whether or not that's true, you know, is as much whether or not it's true about a lot of things that this show says. But, like, having... Knowing There's information seconds, in there. There is information in there that theoretically might come into into use sometime. Most over-the-counter allergy medicines contain mild sed- mild sedatives. In the right dosage, they can cause a pleasant drowsiness. In the wrong dosage, they can cause dizziness, hallucinations, and unconsciousness. Mm. It's better than some that we've cut already. But also, yes. last episode, he talked about allergy medicine as well. I mean, I guess he's using it differently this time. And, like, it's it's not this episode's fault that it came after last week's episode. Well, but, but, but like, we've, we've previously discounted spy tips if they were too similar to one that we've allowed in That's the past. That's true. This is true. I don't know. I'm on the fence about being on the fence about this one. Huh. <laughs> I'll allow it, but I won't be happy about it. So I'm leaving it to you. Uh, did you know that allergy medication can make you drowsy? Yes, because there's like a lot of Claritin commercials that talk about like symptoms of drowsy. Yeah. I mean, I knew that too, but like I mostly knew that because we give dogs allergy medication a lot to make them calm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's like drowsy and non-drowsy versions of like most medication. Yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I don't like. I don't like any of these tips. No. <laughs> oh shit! Right. Oh shit! They have to get the next two. All right. If you suspect you're walking into an ambush, searching for where the bad guys are hidden, searching for where the bad guys are hidden is probably going to get you killed. Unless you get lucky and find them in the first place you look, you are dead. If you can manage it, the best move is to make it impossible to hide. I mean, that's sort of useful. That's like an interesting, like, tactical maneuver that I wouldn't have necessarily thought. The actual episode doesn't quite follow through on that in a way that No, makes sense. it really but, yeah. doesn't. But, like, the idea of it is good if, like, a competent person was in charge of the show. If Michael Horowitz, in ch- if Michael Horowitz is, was in charge of Burn Notice, this might have amounted to something. But I oh. will allow it. All right. Last one. When you're in a foot chase, the trick is to stay in visual contact with whoever you're pursuing until they run out of gas. Of course, visual contact doesn't do you much good if you're separated by a 12 foot, 12 foot high razor wire topped fence. When What's you're chasing about- someone, be able to see them. What's funny about this spy tip is that halfway through the tip, it negates its own existence. Mm-hmm. It's saying... It's called irony. It's like, hey, if you're chasing someone, the important thing is to stay in, like, visual contact. You don't have to catch them necessarily. You don't have to always be right on their tail as long as you can see them. Then it's fine. 
Except in the situation where it's not fine. So it's not true. Yeah, no, this is a fucking nothing tip. Fuck you, Alfredo Barrios Jr. I don't know why I, like, by the end of this episode, got way more hostile against it. But, like, I'm over it. And this is not a good spy tip. Make sure you see the person you're following. Fuck you. But, like, my point is that, like, it undoes that, though. Because it says it doesn't matter if you see the person you're following. Because they can still escape. I mean, he's done. They they do that kind of thing sometimes, where it's like, uh, but sometimes it's actually just a little old lady. Like they 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 do a lot of like cutting through the tension, like halfway through a spy tip before. Yeah, but like normally that doesn't invalidate the spy tip. That's because I feel like like the thing that they're saying is because like in the episode, like fucking Victor is running on like fucking roofs and parkour or whatever. And Michael is not trying to, like, catch up with him because he he thinks that he's just going to tire himself out and, like, he's winning the endurance game. The point is, like, his the argument is win the endurance game. That's the important thing. But then it's like, no, it's not about winning the endurance game. If he had gotten on the roof, maybe he would have caught him. Yep. No. Yeah, you're right. Fuck this tip. All right. Well, that's four, then. We've allowed Uh-oh. four. Uh-oh. Let's get to rating the episode. All right. So we've already lost a point for the the spy tips. We don't got mm-hmm. that point. Nope. There, uh, are, there are uh, not enough practical spy tips uh, as opposed to passive or nonsense ones. Right. All right. Um, did Michael solve the case of the week? using spycraft over violence. And I want you to think about this. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I, when we came up with this rule, <laughs> I feel like we thought that more episodes were going to fail it. Yeah. No well, episode has ever ever failed this rule. Yeah, there, there was a couple that were borderline, but... They have managed to do enough spy stuff each time to get them a win. And which makes me think that perhaps we're too lenient. <laughs> okay, uh, so how, uh, because we need some kind of like uh, objective and, way to like analyze this, what would you consider the criterions of a violent versus a spycraft episode of Burn Notice? I think we like perhaps are focusing on the wrong thing by focusing on violence. Like, because whether, and not enough on like, is there spycraft in this episode? (laughs) Because like, Michael doesn't really do much through spycraft. He doesn't win because of spycraft. He just kidnaps a guy. And really it is violent. I mean, it is like violence basically. Like in the end, they just like, fucking kidnap him and tie him up and put him in a car but here's the throw thing. him off the, it... throw him off the <laughs> throw him out of a fucking this, i will say for this episode it does begin and end with people dropping from a great height sure here's the, nice, one, nice here's the one thing i will say is that isn't like the whole point of spies that like they operate they operate slightly outside of the law so like in order to um you know 
take in a bad guy, they don't always have to play by the, like, getting a subpoena rules. Like, sometimes a spy's, uh, like, best asset is that they are a spy and they can just fucking kidnap somebody. Okay, but what I'm saying is, like, we have set up spycraft and violence as being in opposition to each other. Or, like, sort of... I, like... He's also not... I don't know. Like... No, I hear I hear what you're saying. Um, my thing is, so when we came up with this rule, I remember it being more about like trying to differentiate burn notice and like their problem solving style from just like more common like cop and detective shows. Like we don't want them to just like solve a mystery and then get somebody arrested. Like we really wanted yeah. the solving of that mystery to entail like spycraft and like subterfuge and like more con manny stuff like we want yeah. <laughs> we want burn notice to be leverage um yeah and so in context of that Is i actually don't know if i think that this episode had a particularly a lot of spycraft because like what does he do to actually solve the case he pretends to Kidnaps be a guy, a guy who he he yeah well you know he so he he learns who the guy used to work for pretends to be a liaison from his former employer, bails out a window when that goes wrong, and then kidnaps him. Yeah. Like, that's all he actually does to solve this case. And, like, Fee pretends like she wants to have sex with a guy. But detective shows do that. Like, they people go Exactly, yeah. Exactly. I'm saying I don't think we should give this episode this. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think that there is enough. I don't think there is sufficient spycraft to, like, set this show apart from anything else. Yes. Uh, okay. The alias. How do we feel about this alias? What was his name? Owen something? Owen Matthews. Owen Matthews. No. I mean, the like, the it's alias. It's like one of, like, one of the brothers on Boy Meets World. <laughs> yeah. The, the like, weirdly, like, oldest who was, like, born yeah. way before the rest of the siblings. And so he's, like, functionally an uncle. Um, yeah. No, like, I think that the show itself doesn't think Owen Matthews is a good alias because he fucking fails out of him so fast. Yeah. Like, he's so, so nondescript. so late, too. Yeah, exactly. He's just, he he's introduced late and he's so nondescript that he is fully meaningless. And then, like, they immediately, like, bail out. Yeah. Yeah, no, nothing. And then Orphe so like, and Sam used well. Eh. What did Fee, Sam do in this up? Fee, Sam, I don't think does. Well, okay, hang on. He did catch Sam, that fish. He, he was, I was just going to say, Sam does got a big fish. It was a really good setup. I do like the big fish. Would have liked it better also, if we got that shot of Fee waiting at the diner and they just present her with it. Yeah. Um, and he does also go to stretching class with Madeline. That's true. And Although Fee we has don't a lot see of... <laughs> the stretching. We That's just see true. the we aftermath do... of the stretching. And the aftermath of the stretching is pretty good. And yeah. Fee doesn't get to blow anything up. However, she does get a lot of solo scenes that she, like, is really good in. And I know that when we say side characters use well, our example was, like, Fee gets to blow something up. But I also think that, like, if Fiona gets to, like, have her own agency and, like, have a have some, like, more, more than one scene that we enjoy, like, watching her work in, I think that that's... Especially when it's not explicitly about Michael. Like, scenes where she's not with Michael, where she just, like, gets to be a cool character. I think yeah. I would allow that to be, like, 
a good use of Fiona in the show. Yeah, I I think, yeah, I think that one scene where she uses her reputation as a very good Fiona scene. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, so I will give it, give it that. Yeah. But that's one out of four. Shit. This is not a great episode of Burn Notice. Is this... it a great episode of television? <laughs> no. Here's the thing. I think it's a better episode of television than it is an episode of Burn Notice. That's probably true. I think, because I actually think it's a pretty well-directed episode of television. And I but think it's, it's not a, a pretty well it's No, it's a terribly written one. But I think it's a well-directed and well-acted episode of television. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of the technical aspects of the show are really coming together. Like, I think the three leads have really, like, lived in these characters and allowed them to be more than, like, the kind of cartoonish season one versions of themselves. Like, all three of them have really given us some really good shit in the past couple of episodes. Um, yeah. But I, I think it was just too sloppily plotted. It, I mean, it very much was. Um, and also, it's so ham-fistedly moral, and I fucking hate that shit. I mean, yeah. I Again, I think that this episode sells it better than any episode that's done that so far. Uh, like, we didn't really... You didn't really hold it against the episode with the kid... The kid... The sick kid people. The, the sick... The sick kid disease. Yeah, but we yeah. also didn't call that a great episode of Burn Notice. That's true. Or a great episode of tele- television, television, I mean. You're right. I mean, no, I don't, no, I don't think this is a great episode of television. Mm-hmm. I just, I do think it's better at being an episode of television than it is at being an episode of Burn Notice, so, but that's partially because it fails so bad at being an episode of Burn Notice. <laughs> well, so that's it. Um, all that's left to say is thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vince, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. Jesus. That was extremely unpleasant.